Hello, Siege fans. Today, I figured to take you along for a little tour around the homestead in this first week in February. I'm not sure when I'll post it, but this is when I'm recording it. The big news is that the maple sap has started flowing, sooner than in years past, and I'm getting my jugs out. This has been a mild winter, with fewer days below zero than last year. The weather forecast is calling for nights in the 20s and days in the 30s. That's the ideal temperature cycle for sap to flow. While we might get another cold snap or two, I thought I'd check out the trees by drilling one to see. Sure enough, the drill bit came out wet. The sap was flowing. So today, I drilled a few more. The first four trees were flowing pretty well. This last tree, the one nearest the stream, eh, not at all. Its holes were dry, and the jugs have nothing in them since yesterday. Could be this tree just isn't ready yet. This is a week early, but the temp cycle is right. Maybe this tree just doesn't get enough sun yet. Last year we drilled 20 taps and had one of the best harvests ever. As such, we still have a bunch of jars of syrup in the garage pantry from last year. We could have probably skipped tapping altogether this year and been just fine. <coughs> but where's the fun in that? So this year we're only going to drill the sugar maples out along the road and the two that are on the hillside beside the house. Nothing there. Could be it's too early for these two maples on the hillside. <coughs> Their holes were dry when I drilled them. Nothing flowing yet. They're in amongst the pines and hemlocks, so they're pretty shaded. So we'll see. I'm not anxious about maximizing the sap gathering or anything. My neighbor across the road and down a bit built himself a sugar shack and rigged up an evaporator. Our maple syrup harvesting operation is pretty low-tech and a DIY sort of affair. We don't use long tubing to run the sap to common collection points. We don't use fancy reverse osmosis filters and pumps to strip out some of the water. All we purchased for the process were some plastic spiles with a couple of feet of tubing on them and a couple of outdoor fish fry pots to boil the sap in. We use cleaned-out plastic milk jugs to collect the sap and my gas grill to boil it. Got to do most of the boil outdoors, or you'll steam up your house like crazy. If push came to shove and propane was no longer available, we could boil over a wood fire. I just don't happen to do it right now. I do like the simplicity of our setup, and I don't like spending money if I don't have to. The days are getting noticeably longer. It isn't pitch black anymore at 6 in the morning. Now, there's enough pre-dawn glow that you don't need a flashlight to get around. The chickens have noticed the increased daylight too. The hens have started to ramp up their laying. 
In the dark of winter, we were getting only an egg or two a day. Now we're getting four or five. I'm going to have to start water glassing and dehydrating the surplus again. But I won't be able to water glass them for a little while. The coop and the run's litter has been too wet. Most of the eggs that we gather have muddy footprints on them. Can't water glass eggs after you've washed them. A chore coming up will be to scoop out about half the litter in the coop floor and add several five-gallon buckets of shredded leaves to dry things out. I'll put more whole leaves in the run, too. Even though I have gutters on the coop and run roof, the ground just gets saturated in the spring. I'll add the coop litter that I scoop out to my right-side compost pile. Decomposed chicken poop is a great fertilizer. That'll bum out the raccoon and possum that I've seen grubbing around in the compost. Chicken poop isn't as attractive as food scraps. But I don't mind disappointing them. I'd rather have compost for the garden than a couple of fat scavengers. Oh, and speaking of the compost piles, I should go down and see how thick the ice is on the pond. I wanted the pond ice to be thick enough to walk on because I wanted to cut down a couple of trees that are going to fall into the pond. One of them is a big old beech tree that slowly fell over toward the pond but got its branches entangled with the maple tree standing on a little mud hump of an island in the pond. I'll have to take down the maple to bring down the beech. Better to do all of that tromping around with chainsaws on the ice than in a foot of water. Hmm, the ice is thicker than I expected. Oh, that's cool. It's holding me up without the usual cracking noises. The edge, even the edge is kind of crunchy and hard. I've got a friend coming over next week to help me bring him down. He's the guy that I get the cast off firewood from. He's got a uh, tree clearing and logging business, so he knows what he's doing when taking down peculiar trees. Once they're down, I'll still have my hands full trying to haul the cut sections up onto dry ground. Come the thaw, this pond will be about a foot of water over a thick layer of quick mud. No fun at all to work in. The log sections are going to be heavy and will probably have broken through the ice. I'm thinking I might have to use my come-along and toe straps to winch them into where I can cut them up for. I used my come-along to topple a dead pine out beyond the hill this summer. The base of the trunk at the ground was all rotted. I could see that the dead pine was really leaning back on another live tree, so it wasn't going to fall over. I just needed to pull the top of the dead tree off of the live one, and then it would just fall on its own. There were a couple of big broken-off limbs dangling from its branches. Widowmakers, they call them so I sure wasn't going to stand under all of that to chainsaw the trunk. The come-along worked to bring down that big pine. I'm hoping it'll work as well on the sections of beech and maple on the pond ice. Coming back up near the coop, I'm happy to see that my garlics in the raised bed are poking their little green spikes up through the snow. My winter wheats in the bigger raised bed are looking pretty good too. They're still green and sticking up through the snow. I'm curious to see how they do in the warmer part of spring. Be kind of cool to get a little wheat harvest. Back at the chicken coop, 
I've been able to treat them almost every day with chopped salad mixes from the grocery store that donates their discards to the church. The greens might be a little wilty for retail sale, but the chickens aren't fussy. They do love their greens. And there's precious little green for them outside in the winter. What little grass is showing is brown stubble. Not very appetizing. Oh, and I finally decided on a name for my rooster. I settled on Terrence. He was my backup rooster. The first one didn't last but a few weeks on the job before he violated the terms of his contract. He went into the pressure canner. The second one got promoted. I couldn't just keep calling him the rooster, though. I really lament the loss of Cameron to the bobcat last year. He was the best rooster I'd ever had. Never once made a coup attempt. Since I don't have a backup rooster anymore, Terrence is it. Being a rooster, he will probably try to challenge me for who's number one. But I'm stuck with him. So I'll have to deal with his insurrection-y moves, if and when he tries them. I had noticed, before the snow, when I was out watching him, yeah, bobcats, you know, that he would try these little tests of my number oneness. He would amble nearby, coming a bit closer to me than necessary for anything that he had to do, often with a lot of careful looking at me as he walked up. He would peck at the ground pointlessly or pick up some shred of straw or some leaf bit and drop it, pretty obviously doing nothing that needed doing. It was as if he was saying, hey, I'm doing stuff right close to you. A sort of passive-aggressive challenge. I'd seen other roosters do this, too. Now, I don't let the little challenges go unanswered. I don't chase him away. That could trigger a fight-back response, usually when my back is turned, because they are chickens, after all. Instead, I just move closer to it, uncomfortably close from his perspective, and tap my walking stick on the ground near him. I have noticed, over the years, how the dominant chickens assert themselves, sort of non-violently, by moving into the personal bubbles of the subordinate chickens. Yeah, most of the time the subordinate chicken gets the message and quietly moves away. So I'll be doing that more with Terrence when the snows melt and I'm out shepherding again. But that could be a while. What snow we've got has crusted over and gotten pretty hard. It won't be going away soon. Coming back up to the house, the back garden, like the others, is still under that crust of snow. I won't be gardening anytime soon. In the middle of the back garden is a lump of snow, maybe five feet in diameter and a foot higher than the rest of the snow. It sort of looks like a beaver lodge in a pond, but it's not a pond and it's not a beaver lodge. Under that lump are some of my cabbages from last year. I have them mulched down with a lot of leaves, but also some tomato cages laying on their sides. That to prevent it all from compressing too much under the weight of the snow. Ideally, a few of those cabbages will have survived the freeze of winter and will come back. I've done this wintering over routine for a few years. When it works, the second year cabbages put up a flower stalk and make seeds. That worked last time in 2022, but last year, my lone survivor cabbage didn't put up a flower stalk. Instead, it made three smaller heads of cabbage. Oh well, food is good too. I left that one under the mulch as well, wondering uh, will there be a third year cabbage? 
that flowering from 2022 produced a ton of cabbage seeds, so I'm not hurting for seeds to plant this year. Ah, but that planting is a few months away. I'd better wrap this up and haul in some more firewood. Thanks for listening. Okay, I guess I'm not quite done. This is a quick update a couple of days later. I let the chickens out for the first time in a couple of weeks. They weren't too impressed with winter outdoors. There wasn't much of anywhere to go, other than on the shoveled paths. They did enjoy eating snow, though. I cleared out half of the coop's litter while they were out. I got five wheelbarrows of damp litter, poop and leaf shreds, and dumped them on next year's compost pile. While I was out putzing outside, I was also boiling down our first batch of sap. After two days, the seven trees had produced just a touch over four gallons of sap. I put that in the two fish fry pots on the gas grill. It took six hours to boil the four gallons down to about a quart of, well, whatever you call that, pre-syrup, condensed sap. Yeah, well, whatever. It took a couple of more hours of boiling that down on the stovetop inside. The windows got a little steamed up, but a little steam in the house isn't a bad thing. Winter air is so dry. The house was smelling pretty sweet, too. The final result was almost a full pint of medium gold maple syrup. And so it begins. With fewer taps in, we should be able to keep up with the trees. Last year, at the peak, they were producing four gallons of sap faster than we could boil in four hours, such that we were boiling nearly all day sometimes. That got a bit hectic. This year should be a little less intense. Oh, and I'd like to give a quick shout-out to Siege Fan Tara in Wisconsin. Thanks for the email. Okay, now I think I'm done. Thanks for listening.